Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here with you this morning. Um, as Pastor Jim Hendrickson announced earlier, it's Pastor Don's birthday today. So happy birthday, Pastor Don. Um, and also noteworthy that Pastor Edward, Eduardo Hernandez, who passed away on October 11th, today would have been his 100th birthday. He was just a couple months short of his 100th birthday. But do you think that he minds at all? It's like getting off work early or going on a vacation early or getting out of the hospital before you thought you were supposed to. Nobody's sad about that. He's in eternity, and he is as happy as he could possibly be. And so to Pastor Don blessing us and Lord willing going to 100, we would love that as well. So let's uh, turn our Bibles to the book of Ephesians, to chapter 1. If you don't have a bulletin, raise your hand, and someone will bring you a bulletin so that you can uh, have the handout that goes with it. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would meet us here this morning. Teach us from your holy word. Do a work in our hearts this morning that causes us to to rejoice in you, to praise you, to have thankful hearts, to be molded and conformed more into your image, and just be in awe of the greatness, supremacy of our God and his power. May we see that this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you watched the State of the Union speech this last week, you, like me, probably felt like, um, like we are so different than a huge majority of the people in this country. The way that we think. Our beliefs, our ethics, to, to be in a, a, a place of watching a group of people and having our president talk about wanting to have legislation to end late-term abortions and to, to watch just the coldness of a huge majority of the people in that room. It's just frightening to me. To have a governor of Virginia talk about late-term abortions and then talk about infanticide as far as just a baby that's already being born, being put to death. And some calling for his resignation based on that, but it wasn't until there was a possible picture of him later on with a black face that really got people riled. It wasn't his thoughts on a, a baby that had just been born. It was more whether or not he was in this picture. And racism being bad, but the, the way people kind of just brushed aside his view of Thoughts on a, a born child, small infant, should cause shock to, to 
to come into us as far as the, the state of this world. But I think it's important for us to, to look into Scripture and, and to be able to see who man is and what it is that God has saved us from. Because it's, it's possible for us to, to look at somebody like this governor of Virginia and, and just be abhorred by the way that he thinks. But it's important for us to, to also come to a place of, but if it wasn't for God's grace, we would be capable of that all by ourselves. To think of the state of mankind and who we are um, is such an important exercise for us as believers. Scripture talks all the way through about man's depravity, our sinful nature, our inclinations towards evil, our father being the devil, um, being in a place where we are deserving of the wrath of Almighty God. One of the sermons, as many of you know, that has had just an incredible impact on me is Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards, which was preached in 1741. And I appreciate Jonathan Edwards in so many ways, but this sermon was, it continues to be the most published sermon in the history of the world, apart from the Sermon on the Mount. And it it had just this incredible effect upon our country and Europe as well throughout that time of the mid-1700s. But they talk differently than we talk today. His, his text was Deuteronomy 32, 35, where it says, their foot shall slide in due time. And here's one of the last of the Puritans, and he, he talks about just the state of mankind, the state of each one of us, our condition, our sinful condition. He says that it's as if we're walking in slippery places, And that every moment we're liable to fall. We cannot foresee one moment whether we shall stand or fall the next. And when we do fall, we fall at once without warning. He's talking about our death and when that would occur. Um, If anybody's ever been to a snowy area, if you've ever stood on an area on blacktop where it's covered with ice and you're from Southern California and you wear your tennis shoes, you know what it is to be in a slippery place. It's not even a a question of whether or not you're going to fall. It's just a matter of when. You, You stand there and it's just your feet, I mean, just in a moment gone and you're on your tail. And Edward says that's what man's like. Man's in a condition where you could fall at any time. And he goes on and he says, we're liable to fall all by ourselves without being thrown down by the hand of another. As he that stands or walks on slippery ground needs nothing but his own weight to throw him down. If you're standing on that ice, it's not a matter of needing somebody to push you down by your own weight. You're gone. You'll fall. 
And he goes from there to, to talk about the wrath of God. That we deserve the wrath of God. We've done everything to deserve God's wrath. But it's God's mercy that saves us. This morning we're looking at the supremacy of God or his, the greatness of his power. If you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, you see a prayer from the Apostle Paul. Begin reading in verse 15, but our focus this morning is going to be on verses 19 through 21. In verse 15, it says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, did not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And here's the prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Okay, so he wants us to have our eyes and our understanding enlightened. He wants us to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. He wants us to be able to see these things. The first thing is that you may know the hope of his calling. That you may know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And then the third thing is, in verse 19, that you may know what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us. The exceeding greatness of his power towards us. And so that's his prayer. He's saying, my prayer for the church. And then you can put yourself in there. I can put myself in there. His prayer for us is that we would know that our eyes would be opened to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us. His power towards us. And he continues to talk about this power. There's what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. His prayer is that we would know his power. His exceeding power towards us who believe. Towards us. Um, Charles Spurgeon, in preaching on this particular text, says this, and the quote is there within your handout. It says, To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart is one of the simplest things imaginable. To trust Christ, to depend upon his power and faithfulness, is such a childlike act that one sees no extraordinary difficulty in it. Yet, to bring the human mind to exercise simple faith in Jesus is a work of the most astounding power. To bring down the pride of man, 
to subjugate his will and to captivate his passions so that he shall cheerfully accept that which God presents to him in the person of Christ Jesus is a labor worthy of God. How strangely vile are they who cannot be brought to know their own mercies except by an omnipotent power. The blessed spirit of God is always the secret author of faith. It is not ourselves. It is the gift of God. We're looking at our salvation in a little bit of a different light this morning. Because I agree with Spurgeon as far as to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ with all our heart is one of the simplest things imaginable. You read God's word and you, you see that you're a sinner. You see that God created all things. You see that God sent his son to be our redeemer. You see that he died upon the cross and he tells us that he takes our sin upon himself and he gives us his righteousness and whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And we as his people can look and say, I believe that. I believe that God created all things. I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus is his son. How else did he rise again from the dead? How else did he do all those miracles? How else is all of those things possible as far as the prophecies given in reference to Christ and all these things given the details of when he would come? And you can look through that and say, I believe on him. Such childlike faith as, as one sees, there's no extraordinary difficulty in it to believe. A child can believe. He says, yet, to bring the human mind to exercise simple faith in Jesus Christ is a work of the most astounding power. You get that? You do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ apart from the astounding power of Almighty God to work in your heart. To where all of the glory goes to Him. Paul wants us to see this. He wants us to see the exceeding greatness of His power towards us. The exceeding greatness of His power. To us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. He did this work in our hearts. And it was mighty. When you think of the power of almighty God. We usually go to things like creation. Psalm 33 verse 6. There in your handout. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. Just stop there for a second. The vastness of this universe. Countless stars. Planets. All that is there in the heavens. How did it come into being? By the word of the Lord, he spoke it into existence. That's power, isn't it? It's something where... It's beyond comprehension. He speaks things into existence. And all the hosts of them, by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. 
He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. It ought to create awe. A God that speaks things into existence. And we look at that and we think, power. Who is like you, O Lord? You speak universes into existence. Perfection of it all. A way in which planets rotate. The distance that we are from the sun. Gravity that we have. The moon and all that happens with the tides. And all that happens around us. He simply spoke these things into existence. The Lord says to Job, as Job's questioning him, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To where were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sun's of God shouted for joy. When the angels were singing together and shouting for joy as God created all of these things. There's power. There's power in a God who creates like that. And as powerful as that is, may we not ever consider it a need for more power to create this universe than the power that is necessary to change hard and sinful hearts. The power of God in what he's done for us. We see God's power over our enemies. David says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty for All that is in the heaven and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you're exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you. And you reign over all. 1 Chronicles 29, 11 through 12. Isaiah 41, 10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. There is power in the Lord. Over our enemies, there's power in our Lord in protecting us. Things that we don't even see taking place in which he does. But the power of God to save us. The power of God to keep us from hell. Incredible power. Jonathan Edwards, in that same sermon, Sinners in the Hands of Your Angry God, says this, There is no want of power in God to cast wicked men into hell at any moment. His hands cannot be strong when God rises up. Men's hands cannot be strong when God rises up. The strongest have no power to resist him, nor can any deliver out of his hands. He's not only able to cast wicked men into hell, but he can cast but, but he can most easily do it. Sometimes an earthly prince meets with a great deal of difficulty to subdue a rebel who has found who has found means to fortify himself, and he's made himself strong by the numbers of his followers. 
but it is not so with God. There is no fortress that is in any defense from the power of God. Though hand join in hand, and vast multitudes of God's enemies combine and associate themselves, they are easily broken in pieces. The, the, the power of God is such that he could throw anybody into hell for all eternity. There's nothing that could stop him. There's nothing that, that we could do to make it so that we don't go that way at any time. But the mere power of God and his grace to keep us from falling, to keep us from slipping. I know some of you were saved later in life. Some earlier. But I don't think it's hard for most of us in this room to imagine that God could have taken us on so many occasions. And yet he did not. Not willing that you would perish, but that you would come to everlasting life, to eternal life. The power of God to keep us. Bringing us unto him. He has power over Satan and his demons. We'll get to this in several months, but Ephesians 6 verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Edwards, in the same sermon, talking about the devil, says this. The devil stands ready to fall upon them, meaning the unbeliever, and seize them as his own. At what moment God shall permit him? They belong to him. He has their souls in his possession and under his dominion. The scripture represents them as his goods, Luke eleven twelve. The devil, The devils watch them. They are ever by them at their right hand. They stand waiting for them like greedy, hungry lions that see their prey and expect to have it, but are for the present kept back. If God should withdraw his hand by which they are restrained, they would in one moment fly upon the poor souls. The old serpent is gaping for them. Hell's, hell opens its mouth wide to receive them. And if God should permit it, they would be hastily swallowed up and lost. A radical picture, right? I mean, Satan's there, and if he could take the unbeliever, at any moment he would. If he could take their life and drag them into hell, hell's mouth is open, and he would do it at any time. But God has not yet permitted it. If you're here this morning and you're an unbeliever, there is nothing keeping you from eternity in hell except the mere pleasure of God, His grace. You'd fall all by yourself, and Satan would come get you in a second if he could. But by God's grace, he hasn't. Think back to when you were an unbeliever, Christian. You could have fallen at any time. 
Satan would have come and got you at any time. But the power of Almighty God kept that from occurring. Isn't that amazing? I mean, when we think of the power of God, what a God we serve. That when, like, lions just waiting to trample on us, God's saying, absolutely not. Keeping us for the day of salvation. Letting you go year after year. Not seeking God, a hater of God, prone towards evil, running towards evil, doing everything that was right in your own eyes, and yet God in his mighty power kept all of your enemies that you didn't even know existed from taking you. What a God we serve, right? Hebrews 2.14, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That was us, subject to bondage. And what did God do? He destroyed the devil and his demons. Power of God to render them useless, binding them, and eventually will cast them into darkness for all eternity. The power of God over Satan and his demons. The power of God to deliver us from the power of darkness. Look at his supremacy here and his power and what he's done. In Colossians 1.13, it says this, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom you have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is taking you out of the kingdom of darkness. He's taking you out of this place of a hard heart and blind eyes and unable to see any of these things in a a direction of, of evil continually, and he has brought you into his kingdom. It is one thing to serve a God that is able, like we see in Scripture, to command the sun to stand still. Or a God who's able to take an axe head and just make it float. Or a God who's able to make walls fall down. We see the power of God in the plagues and in upon the Egyptians to set his people free. But think of the power of God to take you and I who are in darkness and in the kingdom of darkness and move us into the kingdom of his son. May we not think of one being things that we see with our own eyes to be amazing, to be more powerful than the changing of us. In Acts 17, it talks about the power of God to draw us to himself. Look what it says here in verse 25 of Acts 17. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. And he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord and hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. What this tells us is that 
We serve a supreme and sovereign and powerful God that determines our pre-appointed times and the boundaries of our dwellings. Think about that. You hear people say, well, what about the person who is in Africa that never hears? And we know we serve a God who can reach even them. Think about you. What about you? God maybe put you in a broken home. God maybe put you in a home in which you saw all kinds of sin. God maybe put you in a place where you fell into all kinds of sin. You saw that you needed help, that God brought you to a place of the bottom to where there was only one place to look, and that was up. And then he did a radical work in your heart. God maybe also put you in a Christian home where you didn't go to that place of rock bottom. I praise the Lord for the home in which I was in. I pray that that's how my kids will have it as well. I can honestly say that Growing up in a Christian home and growing up in the church, when I was challenged by my history teacher my sophomore year, how do you know that God exists? Where'd Cain get his wife from? Really, Noah's Ark? Jonah? Well, come on. You guys really believe this? I sat there in that class thinking, I don't know the answers to all these questions, but I know that Christianity is true. And the reason why I know is because I have seen it in the lives of the people surrounding me. I knew that it was true. I didn't know all the answers, and I found those answers, and they all made sense. But there was something precious about my thoughts immediately went to all my parents' friends, everybody in church, bright people, loved God with all their heart. And even though I didn't have all the answers to this guy's questions at that particular moment, I knew God's word to be true because I saw it in my folks and I saw it in their friends and I saw it within the church. I pray that that would be the case for my kids. That they would look and say, I know, I know, I know these things are true. That God predetermined their times, their boundaries, their dwelling places. It's not by chance that you grew up in the home that you grew up in. It's not by chance that circumstances were such in your life because God determined all of these things so that you would grope for him and find him. Even though he was not far from each one of us. The power of God to do that. He loved you. Of all that the Father gave him, he would lose none of us. He determined things so that you would grope for him and find him. There was power taking place in you coming to salvation that you were totally unaware of. 
But on this side of it, may we look and say, the almighty power of a supreme sovereign God worked in my heart, allowed things in my life to cause this. He changes hearts. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. God commanded light to shine out of darkness and has shown in your heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There's power. Light coming. You see it with Saul, who became Paul, right? I mean, God worked mightily in that man's heart to change him. Light shining, literally light shining, bringing him to salvation. And I don't know what it looked like for you, but I know that it was God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in your heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to you. Power. God's power in our salvation. Romans 8, 29, for for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. And so the Holy Spirit inspires Paul right after saying these things to say, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? The point of this is, if there is power in God to for no, to predestine, to call, to justify, to glorify. If there is the power of Almighty God to do these things, what do we say? If he's for us, who could be against us? The sovereign, exceeding power of Almighty God towards us. Who could be against us? The, the passage here is to bring just Peace to our hearts when we consider our salvation. Paul is literally praying that we would have our hearts enlightened. Our understanding enlightened. That you would know the hope of his calling. The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And that you and I would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us. The exceeding greatness of his power towards us. If God's for us, who could be against us? God has the power to mold us into his image. Hebrews 13, 20, 21. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, though through the blood of the everlasting covenant, Make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I, I am so thankful that he began a good work in me and he'll be faithful to complete it. I'm so thankful that he's the author and he's the finisher of my faith. Started it, he'll finish it. I'm thankful that there is exceeding power, the exceeding power of Almighty God to 
make me and you complete in every good work to do his will. I'm glad that there is a sovereign, powerful, supreme, almighty God that is working in me and working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Power of God. I'm thankful for his power to keep me and to keep you. Jude one twenty four. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. He's able. He is strong enough. Powerful enough. The exceeding power of God to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. We sang my favorite song to start out our service this morning. Come thou fount of every blessing. The reason why this song is so precious to me is just every part of the words. (laughs) There's a dependence upon him. God, can you tune my heart to sing your grace? Can you work in my heart to sing of your grace? And then the passage, oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter, like a shackle, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Just take it. By your sovereign power, keep me, keep me until the end. May we know the exceeding power towards us. God's power is such that to do more than we can imagine. Ephesians 3.20 Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power, according to the power that works in us, he's able to do more than we could ever ask or think. The power of God working in our lives, and then lastly, although this isn't even close to lastly, it's just I was trying to keep it on two pages and within my time slot for this morning. God's power goes over and over and over in so many different areas of our lives of what he's done for us, what he's accomplished for us. You could just go on and on as far as God's power, the exceeding greatness of his power towards us. But let's look specifically at death. Paul says in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, 
My beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Paul's writing to the church of Corinth here, talking specifically about us being raised. And there is power that is there that raises us. This corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. He will do it. Death is swallowed up in victory. There's no sting. Today, Pastor Eduardo Hernandez would have been 100 years old. What's he doing right now? What do you think he's doing? Lived in Cuba, pastored, served Christ entirety of his life, translated the Bible, chief editor of the study notes of Bibles that are still used all over today. Ran hard. But he's in heaven not based on his accomplishments. He's in heaven based on the grace of God, the power of God that worked in him. The power that caused him to put on incorruption. The power that caused him to enter into a place of immortality. The power that worked to make it so that the sting of death was removed, gone. There's no sting for him. He's entered into the joy of the Lord. He's entered into glory. He has seen the very face of his Savior. He will be kept there for all eternity by the power of Almighty God. He was sealed until the day of his his redemption. The Lord did it. Paul wants us to understand this. The Holy Spirit wants us to understand this. His prayer is that our eyes would be open to see the exceeding greatness of his power towards us. The exceeding greatness of his power towards us. Do you see it this morning? The greatness of a God who creates all things to work in our hearts. Do you see the light that came shining towards you? Do you know that you had a heart of stone and it became a heart of flesh? Do you know that the old man is dead and there's a new man that is there? He's made you a new creation in Christ. He's taken you who were once not his people and he's made you his people. His Holy Spirit has entered into you and he's molding you and changing you into his image. He is the author of your faith and he'll be the finisher of it as well. He began the good work in you. You know, be faithful to complete it. But when we say he began the good work in us or he is the author, may we never Look at that as a small thing. Just as he spoke the universe into existence, the same powerful God spoke and made you a new creation. The same powerful God spoke and worked through the power of his word and his Holy Spirit to make us who were blind able to see throw our sins into the depths of the sea to give us his righteousness to destroy our enemy 
to make us so that we are no longer in slippery places, but secure in the arms of our Lord. Powerful, powerful arms of our Lord. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand in the heavenly places. Was there power when that happened? Christ is no longer in that tomb. Three days later, raised to glory. Taken from that tomb. Same power that worked in taking the crucified Christ and bringing him into glory at the very right hand of the Father is the same power that works in us. May we be enlightened to understand that exceeding greatness of his power. It's a power that's far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. He is supreme. He is all-powerful. And the Holy Spirit wants us to understand the exceeding greatness of that power. May it stir our hearts to praise him this morning. May we think of, when we think of the omnipotence of God, the power of God. Let's not stop at lions' mouths being shut. Let's not stop at universes being created. Let's not stop at lepers being cleansed or blind being made able to see. Let's not stop at walls falling or plagues coming upon our enemies. Let's make certain that we go to, he changed my heart. He made me his son or his daughter. He gave me his Holy Spirit. He removed my sins. He gave me righteousness. He defeated my enemies. He has secured for me eternity with him in heaven. The exceeding greatness of his power towards us. Towards us. Sweet words, aren't they? The exceeding greatness of his power towards us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for that power, that exceedingly great power towards us. So that you would be glorified in our salvation. What a work you have done. Determining our pre-appointed times, our dwelling places, our boundaries, where we would be, that we would grope for you and find you. taking hearts that were against you. Taking wills that wanted nothing to do with you. Taking eyes that were blind and making us able to see. Lord, on this morning, if there's someone sitting in our congregation who is an unbeliever, by your grace, Lord, help them to see that they're not here by chance. 
they're walking on a slippery place. They will fall. By their own weight, they'll fall. There's nothing that's keeping them from falling at this particular time but the grace and mere pleasure of Almighty God. And we call upon you, Lord, to enable them to see that they are here for a reason and that is so that today would be the day of salvation for them. May there not be one person that leaves this place without believing. In that same sermon by Edwards, he said, if, if we as a congregation knew of one person, one person that, who for all eternity would experience the wrath of God, every last one of us would offer up a bitter cry. May there not be one person that leaves these doors without knowing you, believing upon you, having faith in you, receiving forgiveness of sins. And for all of us who are believers, Lord Jesus, enable us to just stand in awe of your exceeding, of the exceeding greatness of your power towards us. On this morning, may you be glorified through our praises now in Jesus' name. Amen.